Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Welcome to the Better Together podcast. I am your host, Rosario Picardo, and today we have a special guest, uh, Mark Diamaz, who's the founding pastor of the Mosaic Church of Central Arkansas, which is a multi-ethnic church, an economically diverse church where significant percentages of Black and white Americans together with men and women from more than 30 nations walk, work, and worship God together as one. And he's also uh, the founder of the Mosaics Network, a dear friend of ours at Mosaic Church in Beaver Creek. So with that, I want to welcome Mark Diamaz to the podcast. Hey, Roz, how are you? Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for being with us today. And, uh, you know, you have been one of the pioneers when it comes to the multi-ethnic church movement. How did your journey start in that? Yeah, you know, uh, the short version is I had been a youth pastor for 18 years, uh, and the final eight of those, 1993, brought me to Little Rock, Arkansas, to a a large church of 2,000 folks at that time, 150 students in my youth group, 7th through 12th grade. Eight years later, that church was 5,000 people, and my youth group was 600. And one day I looked around this otherwise amazing church and realized that the only people of color were janitors. And that began to bother me. That was 1997. And I continued to do student ministries for the following several years, but I began to reflect on what I'd been taught in seminary. I had a master's in exegetical theology at the time, uh, today a doctorate, a demon. You know, it's interesting, by the way, that we go to seminary and get a demon, but I don't know how, you know, I'd like to have been in the room with that person <laughs> when they figured out the name of that degree. But uh, <laughs> but all that's to say is I had been taught that churches in the New Testament were segregated, that Jewish believers went to Jewish churches and Gentile believers to Gentile, and also that uh, what is known as the homogeneous unit principle uh, was the way to plant, grow, and develop churches as, and I'd been taught that as if it was biblical, I began to question that. Uh, While it's pragmatic, in other words, if you target a specific people group and essentially give them everything they want, they come in large numbers. Is that in fact biblical? And I came to realize that contrary to these teachings, every church in the New Testament outside of Jerusalem was what I would call a healthy, multi-ethnic, and economically diverse church. Men and women of varying ethnic and economic backgrounds, willing themselves to walk, work, and worship God together as one. And it was this demonstration of the power of Christ to be lifted up and draw all people, not just some to himself, that beyond the words of the gospel really expressed the gospel in tangible ways, caught the attention of people in the first century, and essentially launched the church in a movement of 2,000 years uh, focused on Christ being the great unifier beyond just Savior and Lord. And so all that's to say is I began to ask myself the question, if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, why on earth is the church? And for now, 22 years, we've continued to ask and to try to address that question here in Little Rock, Arkansas. 
And with the launch of, you know, Mosaics and Little Rock and then the Mosaics Conference where you're networking people with similar passions, you've seen the needle moved over the course of time in terms of people really seeing this biblical mandate of the multi-ethnic church and worshiping together as one. Uh, what what kind of research uh, have you shared in the past and especially what what has surprised you with it? Yeah, you know, when we started this church in 2001, I certainly wasn't the first person to start a multi-ethnic church, but back then uh, still one of very few and far between people dating back to the 1960s. And at that time, according to research published by Michael Emerson in the book Divided by Faith, only 7.5% of churches in the United States in 2000 had at least 20% diversity in their attending membership. And of course, that's just a starting point, not necessarily a stopping point, or nor is it the definition of a healthy multi-ethnic church. But as a sociologist, this is what they researched, the metric they put forth. Uh, 20 years later, it is now 23% of evangelical churches have at least 20% diversity, 11% of mainline churches. Uh, people of color leading these churches are up from 4% to 17% as of 2019. And all those indicators are moving in the right direction. Michael Emerson at our national conference in 2019 said that the movement from 7.5% of churches to 23% of churches in a 20-year span having at least 20% diversity in their attending membership was a statistical miracle, and he placed it solely at the feet of the Holy Spirit in the movement. So uh, this is the single greatest movement of God in the 21st century to unite, certainly in the West and wherever else possible, uh, diverse believers, if you will, uh, to walk, work, worship God together as one, express a credible gospel beyond mere words to the work of the gospel being wrought in our hearts. Uh, because if it wasn't that way, if it wouldn't have been, if if it wouldn't be that way, I should say, in the 21st century, the gospel would stall. There'd be nobody who would find our message believable. You cannot continue to preach a message of God's love for all people from segregated pulpits and pews. It's just unacceptable. It's not uh, believable. And certainly, as we've mined through the years, it's not even biblical. And so in 2004, we launched Mosaics Global Network, myself and Dr. George Yancey, an African-American sociologist now at Baylor, to begin, as you mentioned, to try to network the few and far between people who were isolated, feeling crazy alone, uh, being invalidated in those days in terms of the pursuit of a multi-ethnic church. And now that network, I can't even believe, Roz, is almost 20 years old, five national conferences among many other things that we do. Uh, and the movement validated this is what God is doing in the church for the sake of the gospel. That's amazing. And, um, you know, uh, people are, are really catching on to this vision and living into what the original intent that Jesus had for the church in John 17 is you passionately share and teach in Revelation 7-9. What do you think now, presently, with our current um, political climate and, you know, as Rich Velotis says, we're, we've been in a time of CPR with COVID, um, political turmoil, and continued racial tensions. What would you say is one of the biggest threats to the multi-ethnic movement right now? Yeah, you know, I think uh, one of the biggest threats is a lack of understanding in history. So in other words, if you just drop in right now in the multi-ethnic church movement, and you might say, for instance, only 17% of these churches are led by people of color. This is a white person's movement, right? You don't understand 20 years ago, that number was 4%. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you say the vast majority of churches, 77% fail to have at least 20% diversity, you don't realize that was 92.5% 20 years ago. So one of the dangers uh, or one of the challenges is helping people that are new to the movement or just uh, awakening to the fact that a church should be multi-ethnic, uh, understanding the history and the trajectory of the movement, as opposed to just taking a selfie, if you will, or a snapshot in this moment. Be, but beyond that historical understanding, uh, we've come through a time that essentially no one was listening to the voices championing uh, churches on earth that look like heaven reflect God's love for all people, not just some, until the rise of Black Lives Matter, the Trayvon Martin verdict, uh, Michael Brown, those tragedies in around 2011, 2012, 2013 that gave birth to Black Lives Matter. And this is when essentially, generally speaking in America, the the white church particularly uh, awakened to uh, the systemic segregation and determined to do something about it. Now, at that time as well, though, uh, pastors, a number of pastors jumped in and and began to label their churches multicultural or multi-ethnic, uh, but, but they didn't understand. They didn't really have a theological root. It was for them a gimmick, if you will. Uh, they saw it as a church growth strategy without understanding the theology, the history, uh, none of that, and, and really just looking to add people to their church and prove that somehow they were cool or relevant or up with the times without the commitment historically, theologically, eschatologically to this vision, this movement. And from 2012, 2013-ish to about 2018 uh, or so, maybe even 2019, uh, there were a number of people of color who uh, went to these churches in good faith. um, And then in a sense, one way or another, were burned, traumatized, realized that what they signed up for was really in those specific churches, uh, white structural movements, just looking to assimilate diversity. And so over that five years, when from the time of of a, of a, of a surge, if you will, uh, in this, you have people of color being burned, if you will, by people attaching the label to the church without the structural or or the 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 you know commitment uh, to making this actually happen and what it takes to leverage your power, position, privilege, give it away, etc. So. Uh, a number of people of color, and then of course George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, and so you had people of color saying enough is enough. And when it came to the multi-ethnic church, no way, it's a white person's movement. I'm out. I don't even have any interest. So it went from kind of a flat line. I know your listeners are just listening, but you yeah. know, if you see me draw a diagram, went for this flat line for so many years. Then all of a sudden, this surge of interest from 2013 and by 2018, 2019, uh, not even going back, but really almost a negative, like a negative curve. And and but but now we're back to an even ground. And and here's what I like to say, and what I believe, Ross, is uh, riffing on a, a quote of Justice many years ago: um, the arc of the biblical narrative bends towards multi-ethnicity. In other words, we're all going there. Revelation seven nine. That's happening. Everyone's going there. It's like a black hole, if you will. In other words, the the centrifugal force of Revelation 7-9 is pulling every Christian and the entire church, universal, eternal, temporal. We are headed there. Now, you can try to resist that for all kinds of sociological reasons or, or perhaps to build your own kingdom or what have you. You can play for today or you can position your church for tomorrow. But the fact is we are all being, in a centrifugal force type way, pulled to Revelation 7-9. You cannot resist it if you're a Christian or a church. Better to get with the program than, if you will, to somehow resist 
what God is doing in this regard. And of course, I understand there's been trauma and hurt, the need for uh, African-American churches or first-gen churches. That will always be, that's been historical. But wherever possible, the New Testament expects that churches would reflect God's love for all people, not just some, in real and tangible ways to advance a credible gospel. As you mentioned, Christ envisioned it, Luke described it, Paul prescribes it, again, wherever possible. And this is the trajectory. So where we're at right now, in my opinion, as a movement, things are back on track, if you will. And some of the folks that were gimmicky about it, or they've fallen off the map. Uh, others that have gotten hurt are taking a, ta taking a second look and realizing, no, I can't just broad brush stroke every multi-ethnic church. And there's a resurgence. In fact, in our church, I bet yours as well, I'm hearing this around the country, seeing it. Many, many young people are leaving otherwise structurally, systemically segregated churches to move towards multi-ethnic churches, realizing uh, not only do they not want to raise their kids in segregated environments, not only do I not want to pastor just my own people, I want to pastor all. We have the answer as Christ followers. And if the church steps up and lives and leans into this vision, then we can uh, provide, as we are to be, ambassadors of peace, ambassador of Christ, peacemakers in this crazy world, again, all for the glory of God. So I'm very positive as we emerge from uh, the, I, I like to think about it like there was the Old Testament period, there's the uh, intertestamental and the New Testament. So Old Testament was pre-COVID, intertestamental was COVID, and we're in like Matthew 1 or 2, if you will, of a whole new era uh, of life, uh, certainly in our lifetime. And and I and in this era, as we emerge, the multi-ethnic church is as strong as ever and getting stronger. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And I, this is really uh, real messy work um, where you're going to get misunderstood, mislabeled, as you mentioned. Um, and, it, and it takes really, you know, the multi-ethnic conversations educating the entire congregation because it's hard to police everyone. You can't do that um, with what some folks are going to say to other folks unintentionally microaggressions those kinds of things and um and it's really trying to move the needle for all people um to really understand um how to walk work and worship together and so uh what hey, hey, Roz, real quick let me throw this in yeah too, yeah because you made me think and 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 it's really true it's people like yourselves and wayne uh so many others that we know around the country who have been faithful to the vision, who have done the hard work, who have studied, who've stayed, uh, who've stayed the course, if you will. Uh, and, and like Peter in the boat, not looking at the waves around us to the right or the left, literally, whether it's political waves, racial waves, whatever, just keeping our eyes on the prize, so to speak. That is Revelation 7, 9. If Christ taught us to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're just crazy enough to believe that he actually meant that for it to happen, and the church should not be segregated and unintentionally undermines the credibility of the witness. Faithful men and women who, in spite of the drama around them on all sides, just keep their eyes on the prize, get up every day, put their hands to the plow. It's those faithful men and women over 25 years and who continue that ultimately will see that vision unfold, will see and feel the pleasure of God, and, and lead the people of God in our time as the men of Iskar did in their time as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's just going to take consistency. And we've been actually as a sermon series, uh, we've called it on earth as it is in heaven. And we preached three weeks on John 17. And so hmm. we've really and I think I could I don't know if you could do uh, uh, six weeks or or eight or eight weeks, but I, I would have taken even longer if I could have 
um, just because it's been so powerful for us um, during this time of vision casting of where we're at and where we're going as a church. Uh, Mark, are you working on any current writing projects right now or any anything that's kind of burning inside of you as you're looking toward? Because um, you're always futuristic. I know that. So, yeah, uh, nothing currently. We just published multi-ethnic conversations for kids back in November 2022. And so um, that's the latest. And, and you know, my my latest book beyond that or, or prior to that was The Coming Revolution of Church Economics. So uh, not only in the multi-ethnicity, but how do you sustain a multi-ethnic church? You've got to create multiple streams of income. And so we've written a lot about that and, and that work continues. So we write. We, we do conferencing, of course, a lot of other things to try to help uh, churches go on. Long way to say, no, at this moment, I'm not writing on anything, uh, but I am writing an article for Outreach Magazine at some point that will challenge, uh, maybe challenge is too strong a word, but I want to show the unintended consequences of the fascination of church planting for 25 years as it's affected young people and the pipeline for people going into ministry. Uh, I'm all for church planning. You planted a church. I planted a church. But there was an unintended consequence where we have sucked and pulled the the people who would otherwise have stayed in youth ministry for seven or 10 or 15 years before planting and or becoming a lead pastor in a church, whereby they would develop their chops, so to speak. They would get understanding, experience. Uh, literally for over 20 years now, we've sucked those people within two or three years into campus pastorate or to church planters. Uh, many, as you know, fail one in four, don't even make it, or one in three after four years. People get discouraged. They move on. You can't figure out how to fund it. And all of that's had a negative effect on the young people who are excited about Jesus, the numbers of them, because we don't have great student ministry leadership. And those who would otherwise be great then are uh, you know, flunking out, not to any fault of their own, but the system, if you will, uh, and and therefore our churches, uh, church plants are not doing well. Uh, many, of course, some are, but many aren't. Many more would, and so not enough people wanting to go into ministry anymore uh, for all kinds of reasons. The whole thing. So while I'm all for church planting, if you could roll back the tape 25 years, we 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 were not thoughtful in the rush to plant churches. We didn't step back and say what are some of the risks or challenges or consequences and address them. And and so for a long way to say, I, I really want the, I, you know, if I could wave a magic wand, I would want the American church to think deeply about that and do some course correction uh, because, uh, you know, we're in, we're in deep trouble at this moment and we've been this way for years. I don't hear anybody talking about it. And I think that is the corrective measure. We've got to, you know, deal with that, with the young people, the pipeline, getting leaders uh, not only engaged in ministry, but staying in youth ministry longer, uh, not only for their moment, uh, for that moment that they're in, but looking ahead to the future. So for what it's worth, I, I have a lot of thoughts about that, trying to put pen to paper and put out an article, not a book that would start a conversation. No, I think that's excellent because we've looked at that more as a stepping stone in the past. Um, and you either bring somebody on that they don't want to stay in student ministry for long, or you try to convince them Hey, you've gathered a group of kids. You're you're successful now. Gra- gather a group of adults. And uh, Wayne cut his teeth. He thought he was going to be uh, a full time, lifelong student ministry guy. Um, and he he made the switch. And I think with this leadership drought now, we're seeing um, 
definitely the effects. And then people that are seasoned that are pastoring large churches don't have a succession in place at all. And they don't know what they're going to do when they exit. And so they're forced to stay in there longer because there's no plan. There's no pipeline. And so um, it kind of just made me think of the Asbury outpouring right now that's taking place and is rippling um, across college campuses. And hopefully God, I, I trust God is raising up new people in a vocational ministry, which will look different, but that I think that is going to reverse a lot of uh, the decline that we've seen. At least I'm hopeful. Yeah. And uh, again, we could belabor the point you asked me what I was writing but or thinking about. But yeah, I and I've been thinking about that literally for 12 years, but I'm you know, busy with other things that God's put on my heart. I, I, you know, I prayed and talked to a few others that might uh, think about that, but, you know, it doesn't seem like that's gotten any traction, but it's a major systemic problem. So somehow I'd like to bring that to the forefront, if you will. But, yeah. you know, that's more of an aspirational goal at this time, because right now what I'm doing, jumping back into my church here on, in this New Testament era, if I could say it like that, uh, post-COVID to strengthen, you know, to shore up where we're weak, uh, surge forward where we can, and and all of that's going great. So you know we all only have so much time in a day, but yep. uh, but that's what I'm thinking about uh, to answer your question. So where can we find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, uh, you know I, you know basically social media accounts. Mark Mark Demaz, uh, easy to find me. If you are listening to this podcast, interested. And the things that Mosaics delivers from building healthy, multi-ethnic, economically diverse churches to cultural intelligence, uh, social justice structurally by creating nonprofits or uh, even uh, economics. We've talked about creating multiple streams of income in your church. Uh, Best place to do that, connect with me on mosaics.info, M-O-S-A-I-X dot info. Uh, There's a button there. You can set up a time for us to talk. Let me hear from you, what you're doing who you are, where you're at, what your aspirational goals are, and see if there's a connective point where uh, our team at Mosaics can help you uh, do just that. Awesome. Thanks for being with us, Mark. And for our listeners, uh, share this. Mark dropped some knowledge today. Share it with a friend, coworker, family member, and we know that you will be blessed. Remember, until next time, we are better together. God bless.